Well, this is the third Sunday in our sermon series through the 40 days of prayer. And we started a couple weeks back, if you've been with us through this, um, we started uh, by examining why we pray, what the purpose of prayer is, and its impact uh, for the Christian life, why it's so important for the Christian. And then last week we talked about uh, some of the basics of prayer. If uh, perhaps we're remembering for the first time in a long time how important prayer is for us, or maybe um, you're here and you've never really set out to pray before, and so how do we start to pray? And today, as we move into our third week, we want to look specifically at how prayer grows us up as followers of Jesus, how prayer spiritually matures us into the people that God wants you and I to become. And that's important because we all have to realize that there's a very fundamental thing to know and expect and long for in the Christian life. And it's simply this, that you and I are not meant to remain the same. It's a pretty fundamental thing about being a Christian, that we are asked and we're hoping to change, to be different, that we will experience some kind of transformation in this life as we follow Jesus. We should all want that. We should all expect that. And the reason isn't so that we would become kind of some spiritually giant, some moral person that is holier than thou in any way. No, the reason is because as we transform, what we are doing is knowing God more and more. He invites us into life with him and we experience more of that life with him when we are growing. Look at this passage. It's on your outline from Ephesians 4 and it says exactly this, that we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Instead, speaking truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. This is what it means to follow Jesus, to grow to be more like him. And I think it's very helpful, it's always helpful in any walk of life, but especially in our spiritual life, to have guides, to go through life with guides. And of course, we believe that the Bible is our ultimate guide in life. It has everything that we need for life and for faith, but there are also mentors and guides that God brings into our lives to help us understand, to help us grow to be more like Jesus as we follow him. And one of those guides for me over the years has been a man named Tim Keller, uh, who's been a pastor for many years in New York City. Uh, He wrote a book on prayer a couple of years ago, and I remember him actually a few years before that relaying this story at a conference that my wife and I were attending. And I want to read you something that he writes in that book and he said at that conference. He said, in the second half of my adult life, I discovered prayer. I had to. In the fall of 1999, I taught a Bible study course on the Psalms and it became clear to me that I was barely scratching the surface of what the Bible commanded and promised regarding prayer. Then came the dark weeks in New York after 9-11, when our whole city sank into a kind of corporate clinical depression, even as it rallied. 
For my family, the shadow was intensified as my wife Kathy struggled with the effects of Crohn's disease. Finally, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. At one point during all this, my wife urged me to do something with her that we had never been able to muster the self-discipline to do regularly. She asked me to pray with her every night. Every night. And she used this illustration that crystallized her feelings very well. As we remember it, she said something like this. She said, imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within, the, within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to it some nights? No, it would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget. You would never miss. Well, if we don't pray, she said, if we don't pray together to God, we are not going to make it because of all we're facing. I'm certainly not. We have to pray. We can't just let it slip our minds. And I remember when Jenny and I heard him say that at this conference, and we were newly married just a few months at the time, and we left and we thought, we have to do this. If we're going to make it, we have to pray together. If we're going to grow any hope of growing, we have to do this. And, you know, it's not some extravagant or very holy or, or incredible thing that we do. We've just committed to praying every night before we go to bed. And it's become a habit. It's stuck. And that's our hope and prayer during these 40 days that we would take some time as a church family to see prayer become a more dynamic part of our life. Why? So that we will spiritually mature, that we will grow up. And so today I want us to look at three ways that prayer does that. Three ways that, three ways that prayer helps you grow up. And the first is this. We grow when our prayers come from God's word. When our prayers come from God's word. If the Bible is our guide in life, then it would make perfect sense that the Bible would be our guide in what? In prayer. But this is only going to start when we become, we begin to see um, just how beautiful and how good God's word is, how valuable it is to us. Look at this passage from Psalm 119. And the psalmist writes, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous laws. What are we often praying for? Right? Guidance, light, God, light up my path so I know which way to go. The psalmist is saying that God's word does that for us. And for him, the scriptures have become the, the driving force of his life, the very center of his life. He desires God's word. He knows that it will guide him, that it will lead him closer to God. He knows that it will change him, that it will make him more righteous. And so when you and I let the Bible 
drive the center of our lives, when it is the most important thing, when it's steering our passions and our dreams, then what's going to naturally happen? Then the Bible is going to be steering and driving our prayers. Our prayer life is going to be changed by God's word. If the Bible has a central place in your life and in my life, then the Bible and God's word is going to have a prominent place in our prayer life also, which is really important when you and I are facing temptation or struggle, right? Early in the Gospels, in the book of Matthew, we're told that Jesus was led into the wilderness, into this dark place for 40 days and 40 nights where Satan meets him there and begins to tempt him. Look at how the scene begins in Matthew 4. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, Jesus is responding to Satan by saying, you, th- you think, Satan, you think that bread is the most important thing to people. Do you think in this moment that bread is the most important, that that's what I'm craving or needing the most? You think that that's the temptation to bring? Jesus says, no, what people need most, what I desire most, what people should desire most is not bread, but God's word. It's God's word that we need and should desire most. The words that God has given to us in the Bible, in the scriptures. And what, actually, what Jesus actually says in his reply to Satan, he actually practices this for us. Because his words are a direct quote from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Where it says, man shall not live on bread alone, but only by the words of God. Jesus is replying to temptation with God's word. He's fighting that with God's word. And so if it's this important for us, if our prayer life is kind of dependent on God's word being central in our life, then how can we make God's word central in our life? How can we engage God's word? And I wanna highlight a few things, and they're on your outline, to kind of encourage us to be doing as we approach the Bible together. How do we engage God's word? And there's four ways that I think we do it. The first is we read it, right? Makes sense? But there's a kind of reading that we do when we come to God's word, that we are encouraged to read it regularly, which means that uh, we're not necessarily sitting down to to figure out every little detail, but somehow in our life we have this habit Uh, Maybe you have a reading plan, maybe you listen to it on your phone or in the car in your drive, but some way, regularly, we are reading God's word. And as we do that, the content of God's word, the stories, what's being said, why it's being said, that is coming into our lives and in our hearts on a regular basis. And some of us need to be encouraged to do that again. Another way that we engage God's word is we study it. Right? We don't just read it for the content, but we come to it in a very specific way. 
And maybe we bring some resources like some commentary notes or some study helps or a study Bible that helps us look in more detail at a particular passage of scripture. Maybe, as many of you do and many of you have been doing recently, we go to a Bible study right, with other people where we dive in a little deeper to study God's word. This is another way that we're meant to engage God's word. And thirdly, and this is one that may seem the most foreign to us perhaps, but if you read the Bible, you'll see it's everywhere in the Bible. And actually it's something that we do in our lives all the time, we just don't always call it this. But one of the ways we engage God's word is by meditating. We meditate on God's word. And that simply means that we dwell on God's word. Let me tell you, when you are worrying about something, when you are turning something over in your mind over and over again, what are you doing? You're meditating on it, right? You're letting that kind of work into your life and into your heart, and that's what worrying, why worrying is so powerful and can trip us up in so many ways. But the Christian is called to meditate on God's word, to read it, to sit with it, to dwell on it, to let it work on us, to not move too fast past it. And as we let it work on us, it sinks deeper and deeper into our hearts. And when that is happening, when we're reading it, when we're studying it, and when we're dwelling on it, meditating on it, what is it naturally gonna lead us to do? To pray, right? To bring all of those thoughts to God. And before you know it, we are praying God's word, things that are coming directly from his word. We're praying the scriptures. Right in the middle of your Bible is a book called Psalms. And the book of Psalms was used by the people of Israel and Christians throughout the centuries as a song book, a prayer book, where the prayers of the people were put together. And so Christians for many, many years have used the Psalms as a prayer book. And I always encourage people, I encourage myself that if you are stuck in your prayer life, one of the things you can do is go to the book of Psalms and just pray the Psalms. Read them out loud, make them your prayers, and let God use his word to bring about a more dynamic prayer life in you. Sometimes we're overwhelmed with life or we are overwhelmed with sadness. We feel like God is too far away. How do we, I don't even know what to pray for right now. I don't even know how to start. You feel so far away, where do we go? We go to God's word, pray the scriptures, and let God come close to us through his word. One of my favorite preachers, he's long past, was Martin Lloyd-Jones, a Welsh preacher. He wrote in his book, Spiritual Depression, he said this, the central cause of spiritual depression, he said, is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. The right way to do it, he says, is as the psalmist does it in Psalm 42 when he says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? At some point, he says, we have to take a hold of ourselves and act. We must pray the scriptures. That's how we grow. Our prayers are rooted in God's word. But secondly, we grow this morning, we're looking at, when prayer becomes a spiritual habit in our life. Look at this verse in John 13 when Jesus is with his disciples 
He says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you what? Do them. All that I've taught you, all that I've shown you, you will be blessed if you practice them, if you do them. Do them over and over again. Make them the center of your life. And when you do things like prayer and Bible reading, over and over, they become habits. They become spiritual habits in our lives. They become second nature. We don't even think about it anymore before we find ourselves praying or turning to God's word. They're engraved in us. It's an important part of our life with God if we're going to grow. Look at Hebrews 5, it says something similar. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. What are some of the words that stick out to you there? Mature, constant use, trained. These are words of a habitual life, right? A life-filled with habits, and for the Christian who is growing, spiritual habits are going to be formed. Prayer is one of those habits that begins to grow us up when we're doing it constantly, when we're being trained to do it, when we're bringing ourselves to pray regularly. And I think this is important uh, to say this morning, and I hope that, that you'll all hear it today. I think sometimes we're concerned that if we don't come to the Bible or prayer um, with the right heart or from the right place, that we shouldn't do it at all. Right? Maybe I need to, if I'm not in the right place with God or if I don't have the right heart for it, then it's just going to become kind of a ritual. It's, it's going to lose its meaning. And my answer to that uh, is simply to ask the question, well, how do you get your heart in the right place? Right? How do you get your heart in the right moment or space to come to God in prayer? You do it by praying. You do it by coming to God's word. If I were to wait until my heart was in the right place to pray, I would never pray. Right? It would be something that would fall off of my life. I would very rarely pray and read God's word if my heart needed to be in exactly the right place to do it. But it's the spiritual habits of our life that help bring our hearts into the right place with God to hear from him, to depend on him, and to grow. And so if prayer is going to become that kind of spiritual habit for us, then I think one of the ways that's, that's helpful to see it is, is like a well. You know those old wells, the pump wells, right? And when you went to those wells and you pumped and you pumped, and if it hadn't been used in a while, you were gonna have to keep pumping, right? Until finally, water comes. And I think prayer is like that in, some, in so many ways. Some days you're gonna go to that well and you're gonna pump and nothing's gonna come out. And you're going to feel, I don't feel like I'm into this. I don't feel like my heart's in it. God, you feel so far away. I don't know where you are. But if it's a spiritual habit in our life, then we will keep pumping until what? Until the water comes. And this water is God's living water. That's what 
a person who is growing in their life with Jesus is experiencing. But it has to be a spiritual habit for us to have that. Um, I don't know how many of you read e-books or buy them on Amazon or read them, but did you know that Amazon actually has a way of tracking your highlights in e-books? If you highlight something on a Kindle or on an ebook of any kind, they can actually see what everybody is highlighting, and they kind of release this interesting list of the most highlighted passages and their uh, best-selling books. And they also did it for the Bible. And you may expect that America's, you know, most highlighted passages in the Bible would be something like John 3:16 or Psalm 23, "The Lord is my shepherd," or the Lord's Prayer. But no, it was this passage that makes sense in our very worried world today from Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Especially the part of in every situation, by prayer and thanksgiving, bring your prayers to God in every situation. And so in the midst of a worried world, as we're all dealing with that, uh, we all seem to like that passage. We all seem to see the value of that passage. And so what is it then that may be keeping us from making prayer a very serious spiritual habit of our lives? If we know that that's what we should be doing, what is keeping us perhaps? What's keeping you at this moment from seeing it become a greater part of your life? Something that leads you to pray in every situation of life. Wendell Berry is one of my favorite authors. If you've ever read a novel by him, he wrote this fantastic novel years ago called Hannah Coulter. And the story focuses on this very simple but wise Kentucky farm mother. And she and her husband Nathan were talking one day after the kids have grown about what it's like to see their kids grow and go away. And Hannah says this, the chance you had in life is the life you've got. You can make complaints about what people, including you, make of their lives after they've got them and about what people make of other people's lives even about your children being gone, but you mustn't wish for another life. You mustn't want to be someone else. What you must do is this, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything, give thanks. And then she says, I'm not all the way capable of so much, but those are the right instructions. They are the right instructions. To pray without ceasing, that prayer would become such a part of our life that it becomes a habit. It's second nature to us. And when that's happening, we are growing in our life with Jesus. But I wanna see a couple of ways in particular how this spiritual habit of prayer does something to us, right? And the first thing it does is that the spiritual habit of prayer produces, and this is a word that always makes us a little nervous, a patient life a patient life. There was a Norwegian pastor in the 20th century named Ole Halsby, and he likened prayer, and I thought this was so interesting, uh, to mining as he knew it in Norway. 
that demolition to create these mines, uh, these mine shafts, they, they took two basic forms. There were two basic actions. Right? Um, there are long periods of time where he writes, when these deep holes are being bored, they're being dug out with great effort. They're digging into hard rock. It's taking a lot of time and a lot of coordination, a lot of effort. And to bore the holes deeply enough, you have to do it strategically in the right spots. It, of course, took patience and steadiness and a lot of skill. But once the holes were finished, there would be these shots inserted into the holes and connected to a fuse. And to light the fuse, he said, and fire the shot is not only easy but also very interesting because what? One sees results. Shots resound and pieces fly in every direction. And he concludes that while the more painstaking work of digging and boring those holes takes a lot of patience and a lot of skill and a lot of character, he says anyone can light a fuse. He concludes this great illustration by saying, prayer in many ways is often tedious. For long, long periods of time, we may be praying for something without seeing any results. And so what, what is it doing in us? If we're faithful to keep praying, it's gonna produce a patient life. It's gonna make you patient if you're continuing to pray and pray and pray. Tim Keller, who I talked about earlier, said about this illustration. He said, this illustration warns us against doing only fuse lighting prayers, the kind that we soon drop if we don't see the immediate results. If we believe both in the power of prayer and in the wisdom of God, we will have a patient prayer life of whole boring. Mature believers know that handling the tedium is part of what makes for effective prayers. If you continue to pray for something that God has put on your heart, a situation, a person, something in your life, a desire, and you pray for that and pray for that, and the answer is not coming, but you continue and you commit in your, this habit of prayer to bring it before God, what is it doing? It's making you patient as you wait for the answer or for God's direction. But secondly, the spiritual habit of prayer also reminds us of what is most important, of what is most important in life. When we come to God in prayer, often what we're reminded of, maybe for the first time that day, maybe for the first time that week, maybe the first time in years, of what really matters, of what is most important, that we have a loving God who wants to hear from us, that has made us his Children, Prayer does that for us when we come to him regularly. And I think we've talked about that in our 40 days of prayer small groups, that we have a loving father who asks us and invites us to come to him in prayer confidently. And so when we pray regularly, it's a habit in our life, we're reminded of what's most important. That even though in our sinful uh, hearts, as we've always had from the very beginning, we want to go on our own way, we know that that life brings about problem and that sin brings about consequences and it has through all time. 
That's what we remember when we pray and we confess our sin. But we also remember that though that bad news is there, that God's punishment for sin needs to take place, we're reminded of the good news when we come to pray, that God didn't leave us in those consequences with that pain or that guilt, but he came to us himself in Jesus. He came to us to show us how to pray, how to live life with God the way that we were meant to live it. And by becoming the perfect sacrifice for our sin, he goes to the cross and he's punished in our place so that our sin would be paid, that it would be no more. And in his resurrection, he is raised to new life so that he can give eternal life to us so that now when we pray regularly, we know that he hears us. We know that we have this hope that even in our death, we will be raised up to new life in him. That is what is most important in our lives. And when you pray regularly, that's what you're going to be reminded of. And let me tell you, we all need to be reminded of something more important than ourselves, don't we? And that's the third thing that we want to see this morning about how prayer can grow us up. We grow when we pray for and with each other. For and with each other. We're reminded of what's most important, that God has made us his children through his death and his resurrection, but we also grow when we pray for and with each other. Look at James 5. It says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And if you're in one of our 40 days of prayer small groups right now, you're getting a chance to do this, to practice this, to come together with others, to pray for and with them, to bring what's ever going on in your life to them, to hear what's going on in their lives, and to pray together. Some of you write prayer requests down, perhaps, each week on these next step cards. And there are people here praying for them, committed to pray for them. Uh, each Sunday, we remind you that if you'd like to pray with someone else, you can do that after our service by going to the cross. Uh, some of you have lists, long lists of people that you have committed to praying for each and every day. What does all of that do when we pray for and with each other? It takes the focus off ourselves. It shifts the focus of all the issues that we're facing off of ourselves and on to others, on to God himself. And I don't know about you, but I desperately need to have the focus shifted off of my life and on to others, on to God. And if we're gonna grow in our life with God, if our spiritual life is going to mature, then that's what's gonna need to happen that we're going to need to bless others in prayer, to encourage others. And God is going to continue to show us that as we grow. Right? And so as we close this morning, prayer will grow you up if you and I will commit to it. If you and I will see that it comes from God's word, that that's where we start. If we'll commit to training ourselves, to practicing it, to doing it, daily, making it a spiritual habit of our life so that it makes us more patient and makes us remember what's most important, 
And it's going to grow us up as we do it with one another. And so I want to encourage you today to find ways to get with one another in these groups or any other way through all the things going on in our church to stop and pray with someone at the cross afterwards, to write a prayer request down. Let's bring our lives together. And when we pray for one another, we are going to grow. You are going to grow. And that's what being a Christian is all about. Okay? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you have invited us into this life with you. And you've done it through your son, Jesus. Lord, we'd never be able to do it on our, on our own, find our way to you. But because of your son, Jesus, now we are invited into this life where we can confidently communicate with you. And so, God, I pray that you would encourage us today in a, in a new way, perhaps, to see your word as a source for our prayer life, to see us find ways to make it a habit in our lives so that it becomes second nature. We don't even think about it before we're communicating and we're talking to you. And Lord, may that lead us to pray more for others and with others more. Lord, may you use all of that to grow us up, to make us more like your son, Jesus. That's our prayer for our church family these 40 days. And it's in his name we pray, amen.